Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Here's where we're gonna, what we're going to be talking about today, this morning and also tonight. So it's kind of a bit of a two-part message. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about how, uh, where you stand in God's sight, how you stand before him. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how you walk with God. Uh, and both these truths are taken out of um, <clears throat> a passage in Scripture in Romans, the book of Romans, uh, when you get to Romans, you've got to the Mount Everest of the Bible. Did, did you know that? The book of Romans is the Mount Everest of the Bible. And uh, because really, no other book sets forth the work of Christ um, in, in the way that Romans does. It is an incredible book. And in fact, within that, the first eight chapters <clears throat> lay out more about the doctrine of salvation, so what it means to be saved. When Jesus saved us, you know, what does that really mean? Chapters one through eight lay that out better than any other chapters in your Bible. So if you're wanting to, you know, sometimes with your Bible reading, you think you kind of jump around the places and hard to know what to read, um, study the first eight chapters of Romans. And I'm going to tell you something, you'll be blessed. You'll be totally blessed because it's what it's all about what Jesus did. Uh, now, within that, there's six verses that, if you read guys that you know study the Bible for a living, <laughs> they talk about uh, Romans chapter three, verses 20, uh, 21 to twenty-six, as being the heart of the book of Romans. So, uh, Romans three twenty-one to twenty-six is really the central emphasis. Um, and power of the book of Romans. That's because it, it outlines very clearly what Christ did on the cross. And it's really the central, um, Paul's central idea about what Christ did. So it's a great part of scripture to read. So what we're going to be doing this morning and also tonight, I, I highly encourage you to come back tonight. We're going to be talking about two concepts from Romans 3, 21 to 26. One is called justification. <clears throat> now, well, that's kind of a fancy biblical word. We'll explain what that means in a moment. And the other one is called propitiation, or um, some Bibles say sacrifice of atonement. So as you and I lead into Easter, it is absolutely crucial that we understand what Christ did. And as a believer, uh, we need to grow in that, you know, through our whole lives, you know, my little daughter, she's three and a half, and, um, and the truth is she'll continue to grow throughout her whole life. And our relationship with the Lord is like that. We continue to grow uh, and grow into maturity. We grow in wisdom and in stature before God and men. And that is a Holy Spirit-empowered process. We don't do it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. So where I'd like to start this morning is actually not in Romans. It's a Another scripture in Galatians 3, I want to read this first because I, I think it highlights an extremely important point about how we 
see God. So if you've got your Bibles there, just go to um, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. And I'm going to read to you from the Message Translations, which is a really cool translation. It's, it's, uh, it adds a lot of meaning and depth to it, I think. So it's, I think it's up on the screen. Is it? We'll have it up in a moment. So Galatians 3 verse 1 says, You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your life. What an amazing statement. So Paul is saying, um, you guys do not have Jesus in clear focus in your life. And how did he know that? He knew that. He knew that Jesus was no longer in clear focus in their life because they had resorted to trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. That was what's happening. So any time we lose focus on what Christ has done, the inevitable response to that is that I try to live the Christian life in my own strength. And that is the beginning of our failure because the Christian life cannot be lived in your own strength. It must be lived in Christ's strength. You ever thought about that? You actually, it's not the determination of your will it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes the Christian life possible. You can't get through the Christian life just by gritting your teeth and holding on. It's actually, that's a part of it, but it's the power of God. That's what makes the Christian life possible. So if you go into Paul's letters and you look at the different sermons in the book of Acts, you can see a whole lot of different sermons that the apostles and uh, guys like Peter preached, Paul preached, Stephen preached. Stephen was a, not an apostle. But um, <clears throat> you can see the messages that they preached. And what you'll notice there is that they have an unrelenting obsession with the cross of Christ. Unrelenting. It is not in the background somewhere kind of blurred. It is forefront the focus of what they preached on. In fact, Paul said, check this out, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, I am determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isn't that a powerful thought? So if you compare those two scriptures from 1 Corinthians 2 and the one we read in Galatians 3, verse 1, what Jesus did on the cross must be front and center in our lives. Not third or fourth, but it must be absolutely central to what we focus on and what we believe. And so this morning and tonight, I want to take just two concepts and, and talk about why, these, why the cross is just so powerful for your life. It's not powerful to get you in, it's powerful throughout the whole walk with God. Um, and so, before we do that, who's ever seen these ads on TV or you see them in magazines and you see the uh, before shot and the after shot? They're, like, they're usually with um, either weight loss products or they could be um, exercise products. And you see this person who's maybe let themselves go a bit and then the after shot is like, 
They looked like this buff person, who, and they said they did it in five minutes a day. And so there's this before and after focus. So what I'd like to do before we get into these two concepts is just share with you the before Christ picture and the after Christ picture. So I'm going to read through this quite quickly. Uh, we're not going to put the scriptures up on the board because there's quite a lot of them. But everything I'm saying here, these are not random ideas that I'm just plucking out of my head. There's a scripture reference for all of them. So have a listen to this. Now, before we go into it, there's probably <clears throat> two types of people here, perhaps, that you may be in a position where you've yet to uh, enter into a personal relationship with Christ. Um, my, uh, one of my pastors at, at Ride puts it this way, if I was to ask you a question, are you married, you could look, look back in your life and see clearly, you would know clearly, it's not a I don't know, it's a yes or no answer, and it's exactly the same with Christ. If I said to you, are you in a relationship with Christ, it's not a well I don't know, there's actually a yes or no response to that. And so some of you might be here today and you're thinking, you know what, I don't think I do. Um, the other group of people is that you do. You have a relationship with God and that's been a, a new thing or something you've been in for years. So here's the thing. If you are in that before group, this, today we're going to give you an opportunity to join. <laughs> and what I mean by that is a personal relationship with God is the most wonderful thing you can ever have, bar none. Nothing comes close to it. You might be having a great life now, a great family life. I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ will only enhance that. He will only make that more wonderful. He will give you um, an incredible relationship with him that uh, compares to no other. The second group is, is people like myself, like your pastors here, who, they're the aftershot. They have come into a relationship with God. So have a look at these. Have a listen to these. Before, before um, Christ, you were without Christ. After, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Before, you have no hope. Now, you rejoice in hope. Before, you were without God in the world. Now, you are one with God. Before, you were afar off. Now, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you always. Before you are alienated or separated from God, now you're holy, which means separated for God. Once separated from God, now you're separated for God. You were once under condemnation, now you're totally righteous. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Once you were guilty of doing wrong, now you are above reproach. That word comes from Colossians 1, verse 22, and it means without the chance of anyone accusing you of anything wrong. That's how you stand right now. You're the after guy. And then listen to this one. Before we were legally deserving of the punishment of God, now you are legally deserving of the favor of God. It's not just because he's brought you into his family, although that's true, but you are legally entitled to the favor of God and everything that that means. <clears throat> so what would cause such a radical change? What would bring about such a complete transformation in not only 
how God sees you, but also how you stand before him? Well, the answer is a few days away, and it's called the cross of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is how powerful that is. And so, without further ado, let's jump into this. I want to talk about this concept called justification. Now, justification is not, not some nice theological terminology that the theologians concern themselves with, but it doesn't really bother us. We don't have to worry about that stuff. This concept is the concept, if not one of the most important concepts you need to know personally. Not as a theologian, just like me, as a garden variety Christian. <laughs> so, um, and how powerful is this? This revelation alone triggered the greatest revival in church history, the reformation of the church. At that time, religion was ramping up, man-made evil religion was ramping up to the point where you could buy your way into heaven. Relatives that had passed away, you could give a financial gift to the church and the church told you you, you could secure their eternity with God. That's how deeply wicked the church had become. And so there was a young guy, uh, 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 he was a, a, a priest, a monk, and he, he started looking at what we're going to look at today, at Romans and also Galatians, and he said, this is not right. This can't be true. And so he wrote down, a, he wrote an essay and he nailed it to a door of a church, and it triggered the greatest church revival in church history. Is that not amazing? So what we're talking about today is no small concept. And here's the other thing what Garth talked about before. I have seen this revelation transform people's lives. And not just through me, through any time that it's preached and really understood, because it's Christ that does the transforming. Amen? Amen. So let's, I want you to go to Genesis 15, verse 6. Genesis 15 and verse 6. Now, this is the first time we see this concept in the Bible. If you like, Abraham is the pin-up boy for justification. So he's the guy that's held up in the Bible as, uh, he's the pattern. He's the first guy it happened to. And so what we can do is we can go back and look at what happened to Abram and realize the same thing actually happens to us in Christ. So Genesis 15, 6, let's read this together. Ordinarily, I'd read the whole chapter, but today we're just going to kind of hit the highlights here. Um, so, and he, that's Abram, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, what that basically means is, is that means that Abram was declared righteous before God. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Abram was declared righteous. Before that, he was not Afterwards, he was. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read a definition to you about what righteousness means. But go over to Genesis 26. This is an incredibly powerful scripture. Genesis 26, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Have you got it up there? Great, fantastic. So read along with me. Uh, there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. 
live in the land of which I shall tell you. So what's happening here is that Abraham's son Isaac um, can't provide for his family. So um, he thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll go down to Egypt. They've got lots of food, lots of provision. I'll be fine. God appears to him and saying, I don't want you to do that. Listen, Listen to what he says to him. He says, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I'll give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. By the way, that's the oath uh, that we just read in Genesis 15. That's what he's talking about. Uh, And also in Genesis 22 as well. Um, Dwell in this land, I will be with you. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven and I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, now you ready for this next part? Have a look at this. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Now, this scripture, this verse 5 here, is very, very out of place. The reason it's out of place is because there is, as you can see there, he's talking all about, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That is a very, very strong reference to law-keeping. The problem with that is, it's still 350 years in the future until the law was to be given. So here in Genesis 26, God appears to Isaac and says, I am going to bless you. What I promised your dad is good for you too. And here's why. Because your dad kept all my charge, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. Now here's the thing. He didn't. He didn't. How could he? The law wasn't even given yet. What God is saying is when you believed in me, when your dad believed in me and took me at my word, I declared him to be totally righteous in my sight. Such that I see him as complying to all my laws, all my statutes, all my requirements. How incredible is that? That's what it means to be declared right with God. And if you are here this morning, that is exactly true for you. You're not trying to live up to God's standards. In believing in what Christ has done, you have been declared totally righteous. Amen. That's amazing. Yeah. Amen. You can see why this brought the church out of the dark ages. Because religion is about what you can do for God. Christianity, the cross, is about what God did for you. And so the starting place for your walk with God is not what you do for him. It's what he's completely and freely and lovingly done for you. That is the starting place. So let me give you... A, a, a definition of justification. Um, 
before we do that, go over to um, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Let's read this together. This is, um, we're going to go to verse 22. Romans 4 verse 22. This scripture basically says what happened to Abram in Genesis 15, 6 is good for you too. It didn't just happen to Abram. It was a pattern for what happens to you and I. So Genesis, excuse me, Romans chapter 4, verse 22. Let's read this together. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. We just read that. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. So verse 25, this is what Easter's all about. He was handed over to die because of your sin, my sin, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You're probably in your version, it probably says justification there. The NL, that's in the, the, the correct word is justification. The NLC is just simplifying it for us. So what, what Paul is doing there is saying, what happened to Abraham is exactly what happened to you. When you go into Genesis 26 that we read, that you have complied to all his laws, all his statutes and all his commandments, that is as equally true of you as it was of Abraham. Why? Because you've been declared righteous just as he is. This is good news, guys. This is the good news of the gospel, is that we can't earn our way to God's favor. God actually places us in Christ. His perfect record is given to us. Very important. Okay, you ready for it? Here's a definition, an abbreviated one, but this is a definition of what justification is. In my experience, when I've asked this a number of times, what does it mean to be justified? Typically, you get the response, just as if I'd never sinned. Who's ever heard that? Yeah, and that's true. There's an element of truth in that definition. The only problem with that is it's not enough. It describes a part of it, but it's not nearly enough. It says, oh, you've not done anything wrong. But when God declares you righteous, this is very important, he doesn't just see you as never doing anything wrong. He sees you as having done always everything right. He sees you as having the same perfect life as Christ. That's what it means to be justified. I'm going to give you some New Testament scriptures on this. So some of you are looking at me like this going, come on, Pastor Phil, are you sure you should have this guy in here? Because <laughs> it, can, it can sound too good to be true. The gospel is too good to be true. It's actually an outrageous gospel. Um, so here's a definition of justification. Justification is the judicial act of God. So that means when God justifies us, he's acting as a judge. I remember back in the Olympics, when the Olympics were on, I parked in a no parking zone and got a $350 fine. $350 parking fine. And the nearest parking sign was like two or three blocks away. So I thought, I didn't have much, <laughs> I didn't have much money at the time, so I said, I'm going to go to court over this. So I did, and I remember standing, uh, sitting there in front of the judge, 
It was quite a fearful thing. The sense of the occasion really dawned on me like, man, I, I, I could be in trouble here. You know, you see, and there was a hole, there was police everywhere around the court and there was a, 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 a prosecuting attorney there or someone who's representing the government. And it was quite a frightening thing to actually be there. And the judge was lifted up, he was up on his dais and it was quite a, the, the sense of occasion was really overwhelming. So when God, um, when God justifies you, he's acting as a judge, that's important. He pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. And he accounts, accepts, and treats you as righteous in the eyes of the law. We just read that back in Genesis 26. This means that in addition to the pardon of sins, this is you, the justified person, has complied to all the law's demands. All the claims, every one of them, and expectations of the law are satisfied in respect of the justified person. So that means when God holds up his law and he looks at every single clause, every single demand, and then he looks at you, he sees you having complied to every one of them. Isn't that amazing? That's what it means to be declared righteous. Now listen to this. Justification is the declaration that you possess a righteousness which perfectly and forever satisfies the law, namely Christ's very own righteousness. That's why God can look at you and see you as being um, compliant with all his expectations because Christ's perfect record has been given to you. Someone say amen. <coughs> this is very, very important. Okay, you got your Bibles there? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. By the way, guys, this will, when this truth sinks into your heart, and for me, it's taken, um, it's taken a process of time for me to understand this. But I can tell you something um, through experience and through watching other people, but most importantly, through the testimony of Scripture, that if you know this, it will radically transform your relationship with God. Radically. I don't know about you, but as a young believer, I, I always had this nagging question like, was I really okay with God? You know, how much serving do I need to do to, for him to approve of me? Come on, who's felt that from time to time? How much giving do I need to do for him to bless me? How much, um, how much praying do I need to do? And so... All those things are great things, wonderful things. I encourage you to do them, but you don't need to do them to be accepted and stand before God confidently and boldly. They're not required. I would like to say this to you. It's not your record of behavior that matters to God. It's Christ's record of behavior that matters to God. Now, is your behavior unimportant with how you walk with God? Of course not. We want to walk with God with integrity 
and honour him with our lives. But that's not the foundation. The foundation is the cross of Christ in what he has already freely done. You know, the sad thing is for me, I can say this about me, is that I lived many years as a believer not knowing this. And I would, I would pray to God, and when I, I strung three or four days prayer together, I would feel confident before God. Because you hear that you know, prayer is a good thing, and consistent prayer is a great thing. But yet when I'd miss a day, I thought, well, God can forgive a day, Pastor Phil. If I miss a day, I slept in, or he can miss it, I, I, he'll forgive me. And the grace of God in my mind could extend to two days. If I didn't pray for two days, I was fine. I can see some people smiling. But if I missed three, my confidence before God would start to decline. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's ever felt this? Do you know what that is? That is called religion. That is called basing your confidence on what you are doing, not on what Christ has already done. Those things are great things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discouraging them. But your confidence is not meant to be in them. Your confidence is meant to be in Christ and Christ alone. So let's read this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. This is one of the characteristic scriptures of being declared righteous in the New Testament. For he made him, or God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what that's talking about is an exchange is on the cross, Jesus was made to be sin or a sin offering. He's called the sin bearer in Isaiah 53. He was made to bear your sin and pay a penalty for your sin that you could never pay. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, that word propitiation. But the other thing that happens in the cross is his perfect record of right standing and right walking before God, he gives to you. The instant that you got saved, you got that. It's not, it doesn't grow with time. You got all of it at the beginning. There's none left to give. He gave it all to you the instant that you got saved. You are no more in right standing now than the instant that you got saved because you are already holy, blameless, and above reproach, Colossians 1.22 says. That's because, if we go back to our definition, you possess a righteousness that perfectly and forever satisfies the law. Christ's own righteousness. Isn't that incredible? Here's a way of thinking about it, guys. Imagine if I'm, I've made some bad business decisions and I'm in a lot of debt. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in $2 million debt. Someone who doesn't even know me hears about that and has compassion on me and they go to the bank on my behalf and um, instead of, what did I say, four million? Two. Instead of putting two million dollars in my bank account, so they get it up to zero, <clears throat> he puts ten billion dollars in my bank account. He doesn't just deal with my debt, he puts me in incredible credit before the bankers. Here's what Jesus has done. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Here's what Jesus has done for you. He's not just taken, dealt with your $2 million of debt. He's put you in incredible credit before God. 
that you are in as much credit as Christ is before God. Now, we don't like to hear that because it's too scary. Am I really? Is that really how I stand before God? Yes, you do. You have Christ's own two, ten billion, whatever I said, $50 billion of righteousness on your account. A righteousness that never fails. A righteousness that never quits. Because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one that has made you right before God. We're not talking about anything we're doing in our own strength here. This is what Easter means. This is one of the focal things about Easter. So um, it says here that you might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is the Bible of Brett, Brett's Bible. If I was to give this Bible to someone else, so I'm going to give that to Garth. Garth now has my Bible. The Bible of Brett is now Garth's. Who's got Brett's Bible? Garth. When Christ gives you his righteousness, it's his very own righteousness that he stands before God in. That was, that, was, that was there because he is the righteous one. He lived before God without fault, without blemish. On, on Easter Friday, we're going to celebrate the lamb who was slain without spot and without wrinkle before God. You have on your account his very own righteousness. That's why you can come before God boldly and confidently. <clears throat> Nothing to do with your daily performance. If it is, then what I would suggest to you is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 3. We've lost clear focus of Jesus in our life. We're actually putting our eyes back on us when they should be on what Jesus has done. Let's read another one. In Colossians chapter 1, Verse 22, I'm going to wrap this up in a, uh, very directly. Um, here's a thing to think about too, I think it's an important point, is just as Jesus, think about Jesus' life, which we just mentioned. Just as Jesus did not have to have committed sin in order to be made a sin bearer, you with me? So Jesus didn't have to have, he had no acquaintance with sin, he didn't have to commit sin in order to be your sin bearer, a sin offering. You don't need to have to have done righteous things in order to be made righteous. It's a free gift. There was a transfer on the cross. Your sin was penalized on Jesus. His perfect life is given to you and you are rewarded for his perfect life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's why you get eternal life. You are rewarded to spend an eternity with him. How amazing is this? Incredible. So Colossians chapter 1, I'm not going to read this the whole thing to you, but I want to focus in on one word here. It says that you are above reproach in his sight. Now, this is a very interesting word. The other two words mentioned in that scripture might be up there, are holy and blameless. Those two words are taken from the temple. They're temple words. The word above reproach is actually a legal word. 
And it means, this is what it means. It means without the possibility of anyone accusing you of anything wrong. That's how God sees you. Why? Because when he sees you, he sees you as having his own son's perfect life. Guys, we're supposed to live from this place. Not wondering, am I okay with God? Have I done enough? Will he forgive me for that thing? The answer is, you bet he has. <laughs> he needs to do nothing else. The reality is, is that you and I need to come into this radical place when we realize that Christ is all we need. That's the place. My conviction is this, ladies and gentlemen. My conviction is, <clears throat> is that once you understand where you stand, it radically impacts your walk. Let me say that again. Once you understand where you stand with God, it radically impacts your walk. In fact, that's not my idea, that's Paul's idea. A classic example of that is Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are all about what Christ has done. And the fourth, fifth and sixth chapters are all about how you actually walk it out in your life. So first, Paul says, let me tell you about what Christ has done and then the quality of your walk will be better. Amen? Oftentimes as believers, we can try and tidy our walk with God up with not knowing what Christ has already done for us. So this word, above reproach, you cannot be accused of anything wrong before God. Now, for some of you sitting there, this will be a hard pill to swallow. It will be, because it's very different to how you've thought about yourself. You've, you've very much had a conditional mindset with regard to God. I've found that people, uh, sometimes this can be an upbringing thing, that we can have parents who have been very hard on us, and we think God is a hard taskmaster. He's constantly disciplining, constantly correcting. Well, God does discipline and he does correct, but you need to know something, is that when he looks at you right now, he sees you the same way he sees Christ. You are as righteous as his own son is. God wanted it that way. He wanted to be able to look at you that way. That's why he sent Jesus to a torturous death. So he could look at you and say, you are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach. Everything my son did was for you. We've got an awesome God, guys, haven't we? You see, this is why Paul said, when we lose focus, we start to, he gets hazy what Christ has done, we resort to trying to do it in our own strength, and that is a difficult Christian life. It's actually impossible. You get sweaty, you get tired, you lose your peace, you lose your joy, because what happens is we're no longer adoring him, we're focused on us. You know, I love what Hebrews 12.2 says, um, that we are to look to the author and finisher of our faith. Our, our gaze is meant to be on him, not on ourselves. Amen. So last scripture before we wrap up, and I really would love the honor to pray for some people here this morning. This, for me, is one of the scripture, scriptures that seals the deal. It seals the deal. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. 
Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know what? After Jesus, nothing's too much. When you give your only son, nothing's too much after that. God, you are so infinitely valuable and precious to him that it took God himself coming to redeem you. You're not, a, you're not insignificant. You're not a write-off. You are infinitely valuable. You know how much you can tell by how much a house is worth by how much money it takes to purchase that house. Well, how much did it take to purchase you? God himself, stricken on a cross. That's how valuable you are to him. He couldn't send an angel. He couldn't send all of creation. He had to send himself. He had to come himself because that's how valuable you are. So this God will give us all things. Okay, you ready? Here it is. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Here's a very important question that maybe you need to answer for your own life. Well, who is bringing this charge against me? Because God says, I am not because I have justified you. You know what? You do not have a schizophrenic God. You do not have a wavering, double-minded God who at one point says you are righteous and the next point starts pointing out all these faults with you. It can't happen. Not it won't. It can't. That's not the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you, in your mind, you need to figure out where is that charge, that condemning charge coming from? Well, it comes from the devil. He is the accuser of the brethren day and night. It often comes from us. We're hard on ourselves. We, when we're not grounded in this revelation, we start picking apart our Christian walk. We think, man, this is not right, and that's not right. If only I could do that more. Guys, can I be direct for a moment? Stop it. Stop doing that. Jesus Christ has justified you. It is who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. His presence at the right hand of God is powerful, prevailing intercession that you are right with him. That's the reason he ascended to heaven when all your sins were dealt with, he ascended to heaven. He was raised because of our justification. We read it in Romans 4, 25. When you were right with him, Jesus said, it is finished and I'm going back to be with my father. <laughs> this is awesome. So don't second guess yourself. Be rooted and grounded in this revelation. 
Uh, today might be, you know, sometimes you've, you've only heard this for a few times or, or maybe the way I'm explaining it is the first time you've heard it this way. Here's the thing. Now go away and water that seed. Water that seed. Because the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, that there is nothing between you and God. Separation between you and God is a concept that is foreign to him. There is no separation. Remember the before and remember the after. Amen. So if you can just bow your head and close your eyes, I want to give people an opportunity to respond. Amen. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You know what, guys? I'm not going to work things up here in this altar call. The presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> and He loves you. And here's what I'm going I'm to get you to think about. With every eye closed, if this message is spoken to you, whether you're outside of a relationship with God or whether you're in a relationship with Him, and it's really spoken to you about where you're at with him, here's what I'd like you to do. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand because I I really want to pray with you. And the ministers here, the pastors, we want to pray with you. Don't go away feeling condemned. Don't, when you go away, I want an exclamation mark to come up in your heart, not a question mark. Amen? An exclamation mark I am right with God. Not a quest, not all these question marks arising in your heart. So let's all stand together. Here's what I've found about these moments in church life is that we can get fearful of what people think of us. Oh, I do at these moments. I get, oh, I wonder what people are going to think of me going forward for that. Doesn't matter. So I just want to, if you want to come forward, I would really dearly love to pray with you. If this is, if God has spoken to you, come forward and let's really pray and believe that this is going to be a new and fresh Easter for you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.